Hi folks and welcome back to another episode of Reload Podcast. My name's Connor McCann. As always with me is... Nigel. And Lee. Yeah, so thanks very much. A lot of people have been getting in contact with us with a lot of new listeners for the last few episodes and there's been feedback from a lot of the stuff we've been doing so it's great to hear from everyone. Yeah, it's good. It's like a wee community now. It's cool. The last episode there was to do with drugs and motorsport thanks to Lee and today Nigel's going to treat us to a bit about Colin McRae. Yep, hopefully you'll enjoy it. Uh, just a rundown of his, it's his life story, basically. So I think you'll enjoy it. Excellent. So, as always, what's new with yourselves? Um, myself, it's starting to get busy again. Uh, with sort of part-time jobs are starting to pick up again. I'd say a proper job, so flat out. Not had a lot of time to do stuff. Um, but last weekend I sold... We Mark Three ABF to Paul Glennon, one of our listeners. That's right, yeah. He was up, so we stood and talked it out in the yard. Johnny Kern came up as well, so we were chatting there for two hours, and he collected the car. So uh, that's that away. And I fell up this morning of an old T4 van. Um, the rape van? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, used to use that for uh, the gardening. And uh, I've nearly got ready for MOT, but there's a guy who messaged me about it. So he was out looking at it this morning, and... I don't know. He said he'd get back to me sort of thing. I think he's just sort of tire kicker. But so uh, You don't expect the same again? I don't think so. But in general, I'm just trying to do a bit of clear out at the minute. Try to buy other things, hopefully, in the future. We actually intercepted Johnny and Paul on the way up to here last Sunday, was it? I'd visioned you in a police car jumping out with guns there, Connor. Well, in the Octavia. <laughs> or in the Superb, <laughs> in the Octavia, as it looks like. Superb. Oh, sorry. Honestly, Octavia there. everybody thinks I'm the police. You see, they move over on the motorway and all. When you come up behind them, they kind of go, <gasps> and then they move. The next move you need is redo the number plates with no dealer underneath the reg. Oh, it's just the metro plates on it, so she doesn't get stoned yeah. by anybody. Do that, and then if you can sort of put a wee thing behind the back window to make it look like a camera... I need to get that film on the on the front windscreen that's oh, like a rainbowy coloured oil slick thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go full bulletproof glass on her. Yeah. The uh, the issue is the area that we live in, more than likely someone will throw a block at you <laughs> or will shoot you, so it's that probably best not to yeah. backfire badly. I'm quite okay with the with the English reg and the metro plates, it kinda gives it away that it's not. Yeah. But at first glance, definitely. Aye, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we we intercepted those guys in Bambridge and Paul dropped off a few Mark III parts for me, so I was very grateful for that. Thank you, he Paul. Wouldn't, he wouldn't be short of a few parts? No, he's definitely not. And just on that, if anybody's looking at any Mark III bits, I think he's breaking three of them at the minute. So yeah. one, one of them's probably mine, that I sold them. Yeah, get it. Well, probably is, actually, yeah. So get in contact with him. If you need to get in contact with him, give us a shout and we'll, we'll make it happen. I think it's a couple of GTIs, isn't it? Yeah, he's a few GTIs, and I think he has a non-GTI there as well. And he's just bought my five-door driver or CL, whatever it was. As a good parts car. Well, I think, it, I think, I think with the, by the time he was picking up, I think he has got the engine sold on. So fair play to him. Wheeler dealer and all that. Oh, aye. excellent. As long as everybody gets a turn. <laughs> uh, also, I think tomorrow, um, doing a video as part of a video series with Mark Hill. Um, it's called 10 and 2 Owner Stories. Um, it's a series of films about drivers and their cars. That should be fun. Yeah, I've seen he's putting up a few like previews and bits and pieces that he has yeah, been shooting lately with yeah. other people. I think Tom Kennedy done one with him there a while yeah, back. Yeah, he done Tom Kennedy and a fella Kelly on a 964 Porsche doing my Crado. I think there's a couple of other guys lined up. That's a nice variation of cars as well too. Something yeah, yeah. You can watch and everybody will get a yeah. look up. I, was, I noticed there on social media this week that uh, I Love Bass are doing something similar. Oh, very good. So, 
Uh, I don't know if the copied mark or what, but uh, quad. They're, they're, <laughs> they're doing, maybe the same thought that was a good idea. But uh, yeah, I think that's definitely something that automotive guys need to get into rather than just cinematic videos are very good, but people want to know about the cars. That's the, it, pe- yeah. the, the, the people behind the cars as much as anything. No, it's good. Hopefully to... I won't talk too much crap. <laughs> so you do enough of this. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, if you check uh, Mark out, it's... Uh, I think it's Mark Hill, or it's on Instagram, Mark Hill, H-T-W-B. Him with the beard. Him with the beard, H-W-T-B. Huh. There we go. Um, yeah, Mark's a cool guy. Check him out. And he's done previous. He's got a YouTube channel now, so give him a shout out. Give him a check out. Very good. So that's really all I've been at. Yeah, I've been doing nothing. I did a few bits of welding at the Mark III, but I'm stopping actually talking about working at the Mark III because it's literally just weld, 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 and nobody wants just to hear about it. So turn your head in. Yeah, no, well, I'm actually happy enough if I can get any sort of progress on it, but I just, I'm sure people do want to hear me, well, every two weeks coming on and going, yeah, I was welding the Mark III again. You just have to keep chipping away. That's You'll a, get to the top of the mountain eventually. Oh, there's a lot to do, like, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> what can you do? As long as Seb and Steel don't run out of steel on you. Yeah, <laughs> Matt and Lucy will be providing quite a bit. <laughs> Talking about Madden Lucy, I see Matt picked up his Rolex he won. Did you hear about that now? I know he won a Rolex, but I didn't know he picked it up. Yes, I was entered in the same competition, so I'm absolutely not bitter that Matt will won a free free Rolex. Yes, I would say you're not. Yeah. So I would have that pawned. So he actually quick. told me a secret. Uh I entered it twice and I think Matt said there was a glitch in the system and he entered it multiple times. Oh uh <laughs> <laughs> wonder many times he actually did. I must ask him about that. But here, fair play, if you can win a Rolex, yep. happy days. All good, all good. So we'll move on to the news then. We have a, a sombre statement. The first one we're going to hit is... Dramatic uh, music. Dun, dun, dun. A major loss to the automotive world. Ten years in the business and Aaron Kaufman's beard is gone. That's horrific. If anyone has watched the uh, Gas Monkey series, the bearded wonder himself has shaved. He looked like the young ZZ top. He did and... I honestly seen this and I thought to myself, women around the world will cry. And then I thought to myself, do you know what? I guarantee there's more men crying than women. I actually think he looks better. He looks normal. He yeah. looks like a human being. Although he does look odd because it's like, it didn't... It's because you you're used to seeing him with a beard. Yeah, well, I've only ever seen the top half of his head for 10 years, like, so... Yeah. I wonder what brought it on. Although, I'll tell you what, see Weldon with that beard. How annoying would that be? Who, here, maybe, maybe he got caught in fire and he had to maybe do it. <laughs> Just yeah. went, ah, balls. Oh, or no. maybe it was getting in the way of other uh, activities. extracurricular activities and he just got fed up with The woman's ankles were getting raw. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long beard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, so that was a bit of a strange one. He just kind of put it up on his Instagram. Here, was... Ronan Hickey could tell us if there is that sort of problem with long beards. Also true, yeah. So Ronan, t- tell us, us if there's any problems in that area. Welding or otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. What else have we got there? Um, limited time this week, but uh, the last time I was chatting about gears and gasoline, and I got to watch a three-parter of them going from Florida to Alaska. Um, the two bands, one was in a Subaru Forester that he just done the STI conversion in, another one was in an Evo Seven MR. Um, great cinematography, good crack. It was basically them driving from. I think it was aye, from the furthest state to the furthest state, basically from the north of Florida to Alaska. A few technical issues, a few mechanicals, but uh, yeah, it, it's like vlogs across the journey. Um, that kind of thing amazes me with America. Like 
if you wanted to do I a massive... seven thousand miles. Sorry, yeah. Colin, like sorry. where where would you do that here? You know, ah. you're into Europe, and then but like at least there you can jump into the car and just leave. We want to go anywhere. We're onto a boat into England, then you have a boat into onto the mainland into Europe and things like that. It's just more awkward. Where if you're in the states, as long as you have fuel and a car, obviously you can just go. Yeah, that's. It was interesting to see some of the parts of America and. He, said, he turns around and he says, oh, people always say go to New Zealand, the scenery is stunning, but we'll have this sort of scenery in America, and it's just the mountains and hills and roads you've seen, they were just epic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's three half-hour episodes, I think, so check it's it out if you've got time. Yep. Well, let's lead on Route 66 three years ago, was it? Yeah. On the bikes, and some of the stuff you were sending me, the photographs, is incredible. Oh, it was awesome. Like, I didn't think I would really like, like, desert, because I thought it would be a bit boring. See Arizona, New Mexico and stuff out in the deserts there. It's just incredible. And the size of the sky is what got me. Like, because over here we have hills and trees and mountains and stuff in the way and it's only a wee small country, you never see that much sky. But it's just huge. And we went, at one point, we were out, we went to visit the, there's a big meteor crater out in the desert in Arizona and when you, drive off the main road out to it it's about five or six miles off the main road and then the rim of the crater kind of rises up a bit from the desert floor so we were standing up on that and you could look across and see the the main road that we had pulled off it looked like it was a few hundred yards away do you know and it was like five or six miles but that's how flat and how huge it is that that didn't look that far but i knew because i drove it yeah. how far it was yeah, yeah it's awesome I can understand how a lot of them don't have passports or don't want to leave the country when there's so much you can see in the one place. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people now, with what's going on with shows and stuff, I think they'll look at driving trips much yeah. more. I was actually chatting to Robin from Studio 10 this morning. He's in a driving holiday in England at the minute. That's right, yeah. And he's actually going to come in, maybe the next episode of the episode after. He actually got talking to the owner of Caffeine Machine. Okay. And he's got a full breakdown of the background history so it'll be interesting to get robin in the chat about that yeah there. that would be good yeah yeah so definitely robin took he just got a, a 9-11 there and he went in the lake district um stayed over in caffeine machine and i think he's coming back home tonight but i want to do an irish road trip i want to do a scottish highlands because i've done my, my childhood holidays in the highlands mm-hmm. there some of them so i think that's I think the Stena one day return thing is going to be a big thing this year too. It was good fun last year we yeah. did it, yeah. It is good, but you, you can't go that far. No, you're kind of limited. We have. Yeah, but here's the thing. I think it was Pete Matthews actually said to me, he says, pay your 30 quid and go whatever you need to do for a day or two mm-hmm. and then pay, I think it's usually about 140 quid one way back. So you're getting it's a return ticket. Yeah, for, for much cheaper. Yeah. Because somebody was, I, Ron was actually telling me, I think the tickets for him to go out on Wednesday morning home on Saturday night were 400 quid. Yeah, like I remember we used Riddle. to book the boat for Ultimate Dubs as well. And like we couldn't get on a group booking. You couldn't afford to go. It's just mental. It must be the most expensive stretch of water in the world, the RSC. Yeah. Honestly, it's... Well, Stena have the monopoly. P&O were on its last leg, basically, from what I'm hearing. Do Irish ferries still go? Yeah. Dublin. Yeah. They used to operate the Liverpool crossing. Uh-huh. And uh, there's a whole lot of companies. I think we've discussed that before, how much I fucking hate that <laughs> boat. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. Uh, but Dublin Hollyhead's not a bad boat. It's I, a I, I look at the crossing as six of one, half a dozen the other, because you have two hours down to Dublin, then a four-hour crossing to Hollyhead, and then you've still to go across top of the wheels. If you went by Karen Ryan, 
it's two hours across and it's four hours down to the so it's I I like, I like I to would, drive across wheels. No matter what, I would rather drive than sit on a boat. Yeah, that that yeah, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah, yeah. there's no contest there, like yeah, I'd rather drive for ten style. hours than sit six or eight hours on that fucking Liverpool boat. Coming like, coming back from Goodwood last year. It's basically a South England right up to Cairn and we broke it into Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. We drove up to Birmingham, stayed over, and then Monday we drove right up to Cairn So we broke down 400 miles and a half, basically. Yeah, that's good. So uh, I think you need to do that if you want to enjoy a trip. You need to kind of set waypoints and stick to them. You shouldn't realize how big England is when you drive for an hour or two up in Waterway. Yeah, not like the size of a postage stamp that we live in. Yeah, yeah. We got sidetracked there, folks. Yeah. <laughs> so in other news then um if you listen back the episode 11 we chatted about the history of the vr6 and we had touched on the performance side of it as well and a few of the names that have come up was donkey tech and don octane recently big, there big bowlers yeah these guys are doing mental things with engines that are what 25 30 year old you just stopping. wonder where it's going to end yeah they, they just keep pushing and pushing and their most recent record i think it's a world record for the fastest golf and it's a Mark II Golf with, I think it's an R30 engine, which is the sleeve or the de-stroked R32 engine with a turbo on it. And it done a half mile pass at 211 miles an hour, which is three, 340 kilometers per hour for our southern friends. I have sat in a Mark II Golf at 150 miles an hour. And how was that? Very light, very light at the front is the way I can describe it. Yeah. A bit floaty. You need a light in the head. Yeah, so did they ha- I wonder, did they have some sort of downforce in the front of it or something? It's probably all arrow, yeah, but at the end of the day too, it's even, the acceleration, that, that's it's over a half mile stretch. You know, yeah. If you were doing 150 and a Mark II, I'm sure it wasn't, it was maybe, say, on a motorway, that private, private road, private, road, private yeah. motorway, obviously. In Mexico, yeah. That uh, obviously have a good stretch to get up to, but yeah. like you probably don't even get to... It sounds silly. You probably don't even really appreciate how quick 211 mile an hour is once you actually get up to that speed and back down so quick again. Betty smiled the whole way up at like, you know. Oh, like, I, yeah. Just big. Obviously, very long geared as well. They were coming off the line and it wasn't like. Bogging down almost. Yeah, they were kind of uh, bogging down and then driving into the gear and then going for it. Well, a certain engine builder here in Northern Ireland actually done uh, a final, a long sixth gear. Evans. Oh, yes, he did, yeah. <laughs> so he did. Wow, I remember. Actually, yeah. Dino. <laughs> I remember. I believe even outside of that, Gethin, the last time we had the Mark III out, which was probably a few years back now, he was drag racing it. And that thing with the long gear and was slow off the line. Well, when I say slow off the line. Yeah, it, 70 mile an hour just. Whoa. Yeah, like once it hits the top end, I mean, it was cross the, like the terminal speed across the finish line, a quarter mile was mental, you know, for something that looked like it didn't get off the line that quick. Obviously, he was never happy with the gearing, but. The way it was running that day, I was like, holy shit, that's seriously impressive, even as it is. It still amazes me that Don Octane and, um, what do you call him? Oh, Donkey Tech. Tech. Were, they're still working away at the six-cylinder, yet there's this new technology, the two-liter turbo. Yeah, they're not really embracing. I'm they're still just... not hearing massive numbers out of it. I'm hearing six, yeah. seven hundred. I suppose it, it's the old thing of there's no replacement for, for displacement. displacement. Yeah. And you can people always say, oh, yeah, that's where a turbo comes in. But when you start to combine the two, you know, yeah. it's, what, do, what do you do? I honestly think that, I, I don't know what, obviously they're somewhere out there, somebody will know what the highest horsepower VR or R32 600 turbo is. I think we had that is. the last time. There was a bit of, I think Someone it was 1,400 or 1,500. But as you say, where is it going to end? Like once you hit 
to like the Yanks, the some of the MV8 turbos and things like that. Now, fair enough, they're a lot more displacement as well. Although, are they doing anything with 3.6? I haven't seen very much with it. Mm, no. It's mostly the 12 valve is the, the main one. The Talking older about 3.6, it's just something just came in my head there. I follow BHP imports in Newcastle. No, I don't know them. They just imported three R36 estate Passats. From Japan? Yeah. The amount of Japanese. Ooh, yeah. Blue, a blue one. I love that. R32 blue, or whatever that color is called. Deep blue pearl. Yep. White and black. Oh, what sort of They were one? sold on arrival. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, I think they're making are... about 10 plus at the moment then. They've held their money. Yeah, they really frame. have. The, the amount of, like, it's really odd, the amount of Japanese imports of of European, like, Volkswagen cars that come in here is crazy. You get a non-rot, non-rotten one, that's why. Oh, well, yeah, that's... Not that that matters, because they're that well galvanized. Then. Yeah, might as well, it. Yeah. It's three years <laughs> of my life at it. Oh, that's not a sore point at all. But yes, Don Octane, unbelievable. Like, that just is mental. such a feat. Fair play. And then, just to finish up then, don't know if it's sad news or not, probably not. Mitsubishi pulling out of the UK and Europe. It is sad because what I'm going to talk about here is the, the Colin McRae's competitor. Um, the Evo was an icon in the 90s. Yeah. The only issue is they're not building anything like that anymore. Yeah, they're not. They've gone to but be a, a I think fruity that's a... fucking SUV company, so who cares? <laughs> yeah. I think that's if they were still making cool shit, then yeah, by all means. But nah, I don't. whatever. I think there's a lot of manufacturers starting to have to focus and see what are we? What are we making? Yeah. Have we a market for it anymore? I think it's very much, you see it as well, that a lot of these companies are now combining forces. Like back in the, was it the 90s, Ford and Volkswagen paired up to do the Saran and the, the Volkswagen Saran and the... Talking of VR6s, a VR6 Saran, that would be cool. Yeah. I'd like one of those. You can get the 24 valve on them as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of those are combining up and you see it more and more now. It was actually reading a thing about Mitsubishi there are combining with... Uh, Nissan and Renault. Now, I don't know about you. If you were a failing motor company, would you go to two other failing motor companies? Would no. you go to Renault? <laughs> would you go to Nissan? Because I certainly wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. But it's like three drunk guys getting together at the bar and going, "We're going to do this." <laughs> I suppose it's better like us getting together and going, "We'll do a podcast." <laughs> Usually but, drunk, not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually was reading up as well. Mitsubishi's over here are all brought in through a company. They're all imported through a company called Colt Car Company. And it's a it's a split. It's partially owned. It's mostly owned by Colt Car Company. That's like a 51% share. And Mitsubishi have the 49% share in it. Mitsubishi bought them out about 10 years ago. And now they're just pulling the rug. So all their dealerships are left with nothing. I think there's over 100 dealerships. And they all said it was a big surprise. They didn't see this coming. And it just was like, right, we're away. It's kind of the thing. I, I looked at it and was like, it's a pity because when you have competition, it breeds innovation. So you're kind of looking at it going, well, if your competitors aren't there, why should we push ourselves to build anything yeah. better? But at the same time, as Lee says, if they're all building stuff that's essentially a washing machine with an engine, where's yeah. where's the competition? Who cares? It, it doesn't bode well for the future. Like, are we going to have one or two cars to pick from, say, well, 20 or 30 years' time? The other thing I did read, and I think this was more of a rumor, but it was the fact that of those three combining... It was going to be that Renault were going to focus on Europe, Mitsubishi were going to do the US, and Nissan were going to cover Japan. So you might need, you might find Nissan pull out of the UK and Europe shortly as well, mm. if that's true. You didn't happen to catch, I think it was, is that a Carfax or Petrolicious? They done a video about the latest electric car. 
I can't remember. I think it's a Toyota or a Honda E. Is this the wee Honda with like the round lights? At the yes. Front? Yeah. Jim McGill's actually bringing one back from Holland. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I've seen, I'd never seen one before. Um, yeah. That that's, looks like the future of city cars. Like, you know? Yeah. Cute and Just wee electric. roundabouts. Yeah. That's, that's the strangest thing. Funny, Lee and I were talking about this coming up the road as well. And I don't get the whole thing of making electric cars look weird. I think if you made electric cars look normal, more people would buy them. Yeah. But, I think, but it's I think, all about the virtue signaling for a lot of people. It has like to be a weird, funny-looking car so that people, people know that that's what it is. It's like a those new Teslas are muffugly. Like they're awful looking, but like the Model Three and stuff are nice. Are actually quite nice, and the, amongst other cars on the road, they look quite well. But is it the new, the Model Y? Oh yeah, they're awful. They're horrible. Um, I was reading a thing as well on Twitter from a guy called uh, it was a profile. Sorry, called Ordinary Car Geek. And he was an ex-Mitsubishi mechanic, and he sort of broke down to say, well, here's a few points of why they potentially were doing bad in the UK. So the Mirage, he says, was essentially something that should have been pitted against the, uh, like the Dacia Sendero. It was like a very entry-level, basic, poorly built car. It was priced against the Fiesta, and the base model, you had to pay extra. It was £200 extra for the partial shelf. So like, (laughs) what car doesn't come with a partial shelf for a start? And it was eight inches of parcel itself was two hundred pound extra, so nah, I wouldn't even have entertained something like that. Um, the ASX, which I hadn't even heard of, was a base model, and we hear this. It was the retail price on it was two hundred or sorry five hundred pounds cheaper than they could buy it from Mitsubishi, so they had to sell it at a loss. <laughs> you know, where, where's the uh, the incentive there for anybody to push anything? Um, I think one of the biggest things that sold there was a. Oh, I'm gonna pronounce this wrong. It's a Fieve. It was like their electric kind of SUV Jeep, and the reason that sold well was because it was for company cars. You know, with the tax allowances on it, uh-huh. so that sold really well. Mm. And then obviously you have the is it the Shogun, and the Shogun has the Jeep has just been a facelift upon facelift upon facelift. So it's just seriously old technology that nobody's buying. So if they're not doing themselves any favors either. Like, yeah, like 10 or 15 years ago, every Jeep on the road was an L200 or a Shogun. Even yeah. the cops used to drive Shoguns and stuff. They were cool and they were obviously decent cars or vans or trucks or whatever you want to call them. But when was the last time you looked at them at Mitsubishi and went, that's cool? It was the Evo 9. Yeah. That was the last cool Mitsubishi. Because even the Evo 10 weren't great. The Evo 10 looked like a Mazda. Um, the Outlander as well there. The, it had a, like a Peugeot-based diesel engine great reliable thing and they pulled it out and the only petrol or the only option they gave after that was a 30 miles per gallon petrol which in this country no one's going to buy so no. no i don't think it's it's a surprise to the dealers yeah that mitsubishi are pulling out but if you see things they got they're not trying to sell cars you can you can understand why they're not actually selling anything yeah but mitsubishi motors or whatever is it is only a division of the mitsubishi corporation like they're more worried about selling microwaves and, and batteries you know other stuff than you know heavy industries no yeah a lot of those japanese firms are super yeah. aware as well like if the if the car bit of mitsubishi goes down it's probably like one percent they nah. probably won't care you'll find it's probably a loss leader or something then. more than likely so yeah after all that then we'll move on to our main topic nigel's going to talk us through the history of Col mccray i'm sure there'll not be too many that don't know who he is but if you're the rare person out there that doesn't you're going to learn something Col mccray for me was a. Uh a childhood hero uh, following his father, Jimmy McRae. Top Gear's sort of, they, uh, I think Chris Harris drove the 
famous L55 bot championship winning car there. Yeah. Probably a month ago. And that led me down a rabbit hole and I thought, right, let's do a piece on Colin McRae. For me, it was a very important thing. In the late 80s and 90s, me and my family, uh, we used to go around following the rallies. In the 80s, Jimmy McRae, he was my favourite rally driver. Real gentleman. Um, I got to meet him in the pit areas. Um, I remember being at Dale Man rally in the back of my dad's Mark II Escort. And my dad says, look behind you, look behind you. And it was between stages. Jimmy McRae was behind me. That's pretty cool, yeah. In the rally car. And uh, I went like, I put, I'm talking here, I'm not in video. I put my th- thumb up and I gave the thumb back. Brilliant. That made my, that made my holiday. It's, <laughs> it's funny we symbol things I got to, like, how long ago was that? Oh, I would have been uh, seven or eight years old. Yeah, and you can still remember that. Yeah, like, clear as day. I remember it was a sunny day. It was near the Laxey Wheel in Isle of Man, between the stages, and I was like, <gasps> unbelievable. And he overtook and drop up, up, way past <laughs> us. So that, that led my interest in McRae. And then I remember later on then, Circuit Darren Rally. His sons then started the rally, and I remember my father turning around going, there's Jimmy's son, Colin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was in the Legacy. I'm not completely sure. It was either Legacy or an XR4. Uh, I followed J- uh, Colin McRae very closely over the years, and he was one of my rallying heroes alongside Bertie Fisher, a local guy. So we'll start in the early days of, uh, as I said, Colin McRae. He was born in 1968 in Lanarkshire in Scotland. Son, as I said, of uh, famous rally champion Jimmy McRae. Jimmy actually won the British Rally Championship five times. Colin grew up in a motorsport family, but he started off on two wheels, um, trail bikes, and I think he'd done a small bit of circuit racing, but it was trail bikes mainly he was on. A lot of rally, a lot of racing guys start off in go karts, but because he was from rural Scotland, I think motorbikes and rallying was a big deal there. Yeah, there's a lot of off road activities. Yeah. Uh, I think that applies to Ireland too, I think. Is a yeah. A, a lot of those like motorsports guys as well, you see, even in America too, they kind of they don't stick to the one genre of thing or they always have an interest in anything that's kind of off-road or dangerous. It's a, yeah. I suppose it's a bit of a thrill thing as well. Yeah. So as he grew up then in his teenage years, he quickly moved from four to two wheels, 16-year-old. 1984, he joined the local uh, Coltness Car Club and he'd done a bit of auto testing and a Mini Cooper. Then in 1985... To, uh, behind his father's back with a friend he barred one of the club members of the Coltness Car Club his Hillman Avenger into the local Kames rally stages and he finished 14th in the rally not bad for a 16 year old that's nice get to the end of or 17 year old sorry imagine getting to the end of that and winning and then your dad beating the shit out of you because he went behind his <laughs> <Yeah>. back <laughs> he, finished, he, fin- he finished 14th overall but he finished, finished first in his class that's amazing yeah so his father rather than Sort of going here, what he at? He's, he's seen here. Seen the, the talent. Boy, boy's got a bit of talent. So Jimmy got behind him, got him sorted out, and they got him a sunbeam knocked together, so not so bad. And uh, 1986, he was entered into the Scottish Rally Championship. He uh, quickly made a name for himself with his exciting flat-out style, high-speed jumps, uh, maximum attack. A lot of local uh, rally fans compared him to Ari Vatnan, a Finnish rally legend, who... Won the World Rally Championship. He drove Ford Escort. Uh, I think he won the World Rally Championships in 1981. And I think he piloted the Peugeot T16. So, yeah, Colin started to make a name for himself. And, Lee, you'll be glad to hear that he drove a Nova. Yay. At one stage. Um, <laughs> in various events. I don't think there's anybody in the country that hasn't driven the Nova. he done very well in it. Uh, f- f- finished and won a few events. He actually 
entered as Nova in the WRC Sweden one what? year. Yeah. It was a Nova Sport, I think. What was the idea behind that? Or was it just a class for them? Like a I don't know, 600? just in research, I've seen that he had... That's he, amazing. He had took the car over there. Oh, um, mountain goat. <laughs> so he won the Scottish Rally Championship in his little Nova. Yes. So he did. So up the Novas. Following years then, um, moved on to bigger things. No dissing to the Nova like, but he got a, a, a CRX R4x4, later on a Cosworth. He, his career really started to pick up in the... XR4 before he got 15th in WRC Sweden and he got 5th in WRC New Zealand. Then in 1990, he finished in the REC rally in 6th place ahead of Ford Works drivers. So uh, he was making a name for himself and a lot of people, just like in the Scottish Rally, cha- rally Championships, took note of his driving style. Uh, he had lots of crashes but held it together. One of the most famous things was... I forget what part in the car was held together, but he took a bolt out of a farm gate. Oh, lovely. To hold it together and still finish sixth. I love this reading that rally, guys. It's just like literally yeah. get it back on the road and get it finished. Sure, some of the videos you see of when they've had crashes later on in his career, he's all in there with a sledgehammer, baiting all panels out yep. into the pits area. He's helping the mechanics and stuff, you know. Anything to get it done. But even with all this going on um, and all his talent, alas, no contracts from Works Drives. Maybe that was the end of his his career, but having a dad like Jimmy McRae, Jimmy picked up the phone to David Richards at ProDrive. Oh, lovely. And had a chat, uh, ran a few ideas around. David Richards seen the talent in Colin McRae, and he decided to take a chance on him. So he started. He developed an apprenticeship program, basically, for Colin, uh, in, in conjunction with Rothman's Cigarette Company. So we put him in the Subaru Legacy. He got, uh, I think it was a contract, £10,000 a year. So that wasn't bad. In yeah, back then. The early 90s. Decent money, especially on like an apprenticeship program. So he got under the odd rally, and but he also had to help out when they flew out to WRC events. Okay. He'd done van runs at the workshop. So it was basically like, uh, I could compare it to, used to be in the Premier League, there was the boot room. So if you just started six, I, your apprenticeship, 16, 17, I'm totally lost. you cleaned the boots. Ah, so it was, it was summer, summer, something along those lines. A basically. bit of a gopher, get everything done. Yeah. So off he went with ProDrive in his legacy, and straight out of the gate, he was just a star. 1991, 1992, he won the British Rally Championships, won the Circuit Iron Rally and the uh, Manx Rally. Actually, seen him at the Circuit Iron Rally. That'd be so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was good to see. He also got entered into the odd. WRC event, um, Swedish rally of 91 or 92. He nearly won it, but he made his name in the Scandinavian countries. He, he could made a hero basically because of his style of driving again, especially then later in the Finland rally. On his first day, he, he hit a corner badly. He flipped the car seven times. <laughs> um, nice. Wow. Kept it together, multiple crashes, but the crowd and the fans there that weekend couldn't believe he kept it going and kept driving flat out. So from then on, it was hero status for Colin. Also in that season when he was doing that, I think you actually brought this point up when we put the thing about Colin McRae on our social media. The touring cars, Connor? Yeah, it was uh, Paul McGrath. He sent us a link. It was the first I'd actually seen of it as well. I didn't know about it. Where I think he had no drives that year and Pro Drive wanted to enter... I think it was actually in conjunction with BMW, the, the new M3, which was in the E36 at the time, and they got him a drive out of it. There was two drivers ready for it 
for the team and they put him as a third driver and it was at Knock Hill, which was his local circuit. And he was doing quite well, they said, simply because for all the other veteran uh, BTCC guys, this was a new circuit where he knew that, like the back of his hand, he yeah. had been on the bikes, been on the cars with it, and he was driving really well. And he came into a corner behind Matt Neal, and he claims that Matt Neal braked a lot harder than he normally would have. He says it gave him a bit of a tap, which anyone who watches BTCC will know is kind of the done thing. But he hit him hard, put him off the circuit. Um, Matt Neal was not impressed. His team owner really wasn't impressed. And I think it was the last time he actually got a drive in a BTCC car. Get him out of here. And it, it's a, yeah, <laughs> get, him, get him back in the rally it, it, it didn't end very well for him. But one thing he did say is that the quickest he was all weekend was when he got out of the car and run him back to the trailer because he says he was going to get a shit kicked in for doing well, it. It's funny, I think Matt Neal's... He's like a black belt in something or something. He probably is. Yeah, it wouldn't have mattered. He could have yeah, strangled him. Because I remember watching the BTC stories thing. And there was a big rivalry between Matt Neal and... Who's the guy that does uh, fifth gear? Oh. oh. Ex-touring car guy. Jason Plato. Yeah. They always fought. But That's I remember right. hearing I Matt Neal, he was, he was like fifth down karate or some sort of... I tell you what, though, see, I used to race, before I rallied, I raced. It was kind of short circuit, but it was dirt track as well. And I remember this guy who, we were coming into corner and it was like a hairpin. And he hit me that hard. I ended up buried in the hedge almost on a main road. And see, when I got back into that pits, I could have tore him out of that car and kicked him to death. I was so angry. Like, I was your, adrenaline, like your adrenaline is yeah, popping. Yeah, I was only like 14. I was like, you, well, things going through my head was, well, one was nearly killed because it was nearly forced onto the main road. And the other one was, you just wrecked my car. Yeah. Sure, many times I've been go-kart and there's been fallouts. And no, no comment. comment. <laughs> yeah. I, it's all about a crack until somebody loses the rag mm, yeah i might have hit someone a bit hard in one of them one no time. no names mentioned of course uh, yeah no we'll move on we'll move on yeah. <laughs> don't talk about that That's, that was a sore point right, for we'll all of us so yeah you done turn car uh thanks for paul mcgrath for sending that we yeah it was really info. good um 1983 colin pro- progressed then after winning the championships in 91 92 he got made full wrc works driver he actually won in new zealand it was a big thing for subaru at the time it was their first wrc win was the first British rally driver to win at New Zealand. So McRae was setting new standards. But at the same time that season, a lot of crashes by Colin. Yeah. Colin McCrash was his nickname. <laughs> Crash um, Bandicoot. There's a, I think it was a F and Doubt, Flat Out slogan. Yeah. As he followed him his whole career. That was definitely his driving style, was just keep her lit. 1993, he had lots of crashes. So that could only go on so long before a decision would have to be made. So then in uh, 1984 season... It was the introduction of the new Impreza program. So it was a new car for Subaru. Season went on, per season. A lot of mechanicals, as what happens with a new yeah, car being released. There's lots of niggles, lots of issues, development. Um, so along with mechanicals and crashes, McRae was on dodgy ground. I don't know if they said this or there was a statement made or one of the... I don't know if Dave Richards said this, but there was a statement that I picked up on. And it was basically from Surbury saying, a young driver who gives 110% can be lowered for those sur- sur- superfluous, 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 for those, sur- Lee's good with the Lee, words. for those, superfluous, 10%. <laughs> and someone who is limited to 90% can hardly get to 100%. So basically what we're saying is, he can be, he they can, can tame tra- him. They can tame him back, but they can't bring in a driver at 90% and make them 100%. Yeah. So that's why they were giving him that leeway. 
So he was treading on thin ice, as I say. But McRae pulled it out of the bag and delivered in New Zealand and Wales and avoided the sack. I forgot to say, there was a funny story at the start of the Impreza program, started in 1998. They were doing trials, you know, the Tet breaking in the car in a forest somewhere in England. And Ari Vatnan was his teammate. Right. So kindred spirits and all that there. They drove the same style, flat out. So Ari Vatnan pulls up the testing. McRae's there, young McRae. Jump in, Colin. Off they went. Ari was trying to scare the shit out of him. Uh-huh. Took him down, flat out. Bam, 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 bam. Rolled it and rolled off the brand new imprints. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Apparently got picked up and they were laughing. <laughs> Lovely, yeah. <laughs> Don't think Dave Richard was, so. I'd imagine not. Imagine the, the development in those cars and you're kind of thinking, well, we need to get as much out of these as we can and then you smash one. Imagine the mechanics stand there at the start of the season Ari Vatten and Colin McRae just went out for a run and rode it off. They're just looking at each other and going, this is going to be a fun season. We've got Colin McCrash yep. and this header Ari Vatten. <laughs> it's either that or do we have jobs. <laughs> Something like that. So we'll move on then. 1985, this was the big season. This was the famous uh, winning season for Colin McRae. Bad start for Colin. Lots of crashes. Again, mechanicals plagued it. He was poor in points, but Colin had a break in that Carlos Sainz, he got an injury. So that was a lucky break because Carlos Sainz was good in points. So then McRae got on to a good lead, uh, or a good run of points, got more points up the table. And then it led down to the last two rallies. So you had Catalonia and then Wales. So let's go to Catalonia. On the Saturday, Carlos Sainz led by eight seconds. Team orders on the Saturday evening in the hotel were, right, Colin, calm down. We've got two cars here in first and second, constructors' points. Yep, we're going to win something here. This is the type of thing that's very famous in Formula 1. You know, yep. right, we've got the points in the bag, just bring it home. This was said. Colin McRae went, I hear what you're saying there, but you're wrong. Yep, I'm not listening. <laughs> so we went out the next day, harder than ever, oh, no. absolutely smoked the stages, and was winning. But to prove a point, Dave Richard, as he was coming into the driving pits, uh, told them to wait for a minute to incur a penalty. So we'd finish in second. Sorry, before the, this was ordered, Dave Richard actually sent Pro Drive Mechanics out onto the stage to wave. To slow him down. To slow down. McRae's response was to hit the limiter <laughs> as he went past them. <laughs> nice. Downshift away. Yep. So this is why then he he not He, he might as well just held the middle finger out to him yeah. as he went past. So yeah, into the service park and it. Uh, it played out on live TV. Um, <laughs> basically, he was told to, you know, take the penalty and be laid in the pits. Yeah. Uh, he went absolutely boogaloo. And luckily, his dad was there. His dad told him to calm down, take one on the chin. Yeah. Do as your You're boss told. says. So he did. But when he went into the pits, there was a big fight between him and Dave Richards live, live on TV. I'm sure that looked well. So then we moved into the final round. So McRae had a point to prove, and he did. He absolutely smoked the field in the next round. Won the rally by 1 minute 30 seconds and became WRC champ. I actually remember this. I think I forget the park where it finished then for the final stage, but I actually remember it was live on BBC 1 or BBC 2. Really big event in Britain, basically, to see a WRC champ. Uh-huh. But also this was massive for Subaru. Subaru before the Impreza program was an old... Almost agricultural car brand. There wasn't any. Yeah, they've done a lot of heavy industry, as we said before. There, there's. Um, yeah. I think actually, if you look on the the chassis plates of Subarus, it, it still states the original company name, which is to do with heavy industry. It elevated the brand. 
Impressa sold in her thousands. Yeah, this is the time I would have been maybe was well, I was born in eighty eight, so <laughs> nineteen eighty eight. I had known Colin McRae in the late late nineties kind of thing as we were starting to yeah. watch what was happening in WRC. So in the in the mid nineties then, Subarus and Evos, they were the car to have. Yeah. They were the fast car. Fast and it's affordable. It's funny when you say they're Subarus and Evos, you never say Impreza, you just say ah. Subaru and everybody knows what you mean because yeah. why you know, because that was when I was at school. I used to tell people my dad drove a Subaru, which he did. It was a Subaru Justy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <The> Hatchbacks. <laughs> <laughs> it had five 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 graphics in the same. Yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, so it was a big thing for the car manufacturers, elevated the brand and all the rest of it, but it also elevated Colin McRae to superstardom. Also in I think it was ninety eight came out the famous video game, Colin McRae Rally. Yes, for the PlayStation. Sold three million rallies. Or three million rallies. Sold three million copies. I think it's now called Dirt Rally. Dirt, yeah. Is that what it morphed into? Dirt, yeah. Just Dirt now, is it? Yeah. But I think that, it was Colin McRae Dirt, and then it's probably just Dirt, dirt. now, I don't know. But, but I was in HMV, we had it. Oh, right, right. I think Nicky Griss, the co-driver, got a chunk of change for doing the commentating. Doing oh, the very good. You know, yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. All that sort of carry on. Oh, they were good games. Yeah, I've, when I had a PlayStation, Colin McRae Rally was one of the first games I went for. Like, yeah. So, yeah. So... Yeah, so that was a big year for Colin. That's uh, kind of... Sorry to interrupt you. That's kind of probably one of the first... Like, how many other superstars and like racing and things like that got that kind of thing? Yeah, you know, late nineties. Suppose it was a big thing. Computer games were taking off. I think, it was, I think it was around the time of PlayStation launch. Yeah, and they probably jumped on a lot of big brand names like that because you had like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and the likes that all picked up too. Tiger Woods had a like a PGA golf thing. Like yeah. I can't imagine playing golf on the PlayStation is any more exciting than playing golf in real life. <laughs> because neither <laughs> is my idea of a good time, but No. No. <laughs> you play Wii Golf. <laughs> Wii Golf yeah, that's different, yeah. Wii Sports is fun. Um sorry, going ahead. So yeah, uh, moving on then in the next few seasons, uh ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, he ran very close, but unfortunately he had competition in the form of Tommy Magnan, who ran f- won four titles in a row so yeah Colin won he came second in WRC two years in a row he had wins in Safari Australia Wales Corsica San Remo so he was still doing really well it's just Tommy Magnum was just that level and in the in the Evos the infamous rival between driver and car Subarus versus Mitsubishis yeah yep. yeah so uh the big news in 1989 was McRae, the contract ended with Subaru and he moved to Ford. Back then, it was big, big news. I forget when newspaper leaked the wage. Apparently, it was a six million deal for two years. Ooh, lovely. Back in 1989, that was just groundbreaking. He That's signed it. He signed 2M Sport, Ford backed. It was Malcolm Wilson Motorsport. Mental money. So he moved on to Ford and it was a new challenge for him. It was a new project for uh, Ford Stroke M Sport. It was the Ford Focus. The Focus of big shoes to fill in as well, coming from a successor to the WRC Escorts. Yeah, big big shoes to fill. So yeah, it was a new it was a new challenge for McRae. It was a new time for M Sport to bring forward the Focus project. Yeah, so nineteen eighty nine things didn't start well. Um, lots of mechanicals, new car, new problems, and of course crashes with Colin, if in doubt, flat out, and yep. sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But, however, in his third rally, he won Safari, and straight after, won Portugal. But, again, more car problems and crashes hindered the season, and he ended up sixth in the championship. 2000, he won Catalonia and Greece. He finished fourth in the championship, got his contract renewed with Ford. 2001, he won Safari, Greece, Argentina. He actually uh, 
running into the final round of the championship in Rally GB, Wheels, whatever it's called now. He was, I think he was tied with Mackinnon and Richard Burns in points, but didn't work out. And in his efforts to win, he crashed out big style. At that time, he was big rivals with Richard Burns. Burns actually took the championship that year after... Um, he had been the Subaru then after he left. Yeah, and there was, there was big rivalry between them and the press built it up and played on it. But actually, it came to light they were actually decent friends. You find that with most things as well anyway. There's a rumour going around at the time that McRae was leaving Subaru to go to Ford and Burns was trying to get, get into Subaru uh-huh. that they played both manufacturers Off for contracts. Other. So there, there is a bit of chat about that there. He missed out that year, and unfortunately, he lost his contract with Ford. Ford decided not to renew the contract. McRae had a demand of £5 million a year. Nice. Ford decided then, no, we're going to go with young drivers and spend the money we would have spent on McRae on the development of the car. So then Colin jumped ship again to another manufacturer. He went to Citroen, and he had a teammate called Sebastian Loeb. Mr. Loeb heard, himself. You might have heard of him, a young Mr. Loeb. It was in the Citroen Zara WRC car. I love those cars. Uh, I love them on Tarmac spec. Yeah, they look so oh, good. So good. He finished uh, second in Monte Carlo, but unfortunately, a new style of car was coming through. It required different driving styles. He just didn't bond with the car, and that was his best result the whole season. That year, he had three teammates. They were allowed to have three teammates, so it was McRae, Carlos Sainz, and Loeb. Unfortunately, then, he'd done another season, and 2004, there was a rule change, and you couldn't have three drivers. You could only have two. So... Sainz was doing far better. Okay. Loeb had a multi-year contract and he was seen as the youth of the program. So McRae was seen as dead weight. Oh, and he him? was let go. So that left McRae with no drive in WRC. So that left a, that, uh, led a spell of coming out of WRC. He had occasional drives. In 2004, he'd done a bit of work with Skoda. He had a few one-off drives developing their Fabia WRC car. Yeah. Um, this is a time when they were trying to bring the VRS brand, and it certainly did. It helped um, it improve the, brand, the WRC yeah. or the VRS brand. Rally GB he finished seventh in Australia. He actually ended up retiring on a clutch problem. It was unfortunate because he actually nearly won that. Ah, uh, mechanical failure. Yeah. For it. So also in two thousand and four, he entered Le Mans. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He entered Le Mans with Rickard Ordell. You might remember him from the Flan Brick yep. BTCC days in the Volvo. And Darren Turner. That's a strange combination. They raced in a Ferrari 550 GTS Maranello. And they finished ninth overall, which is a very good finish for a relatively inexperienced um, I think at Le Mans, isn't it? I don't know if it's still the same, but certainly in the old days it was if you even finished... Yeah. That was seen as quite an achievement. Yeah. yeah. Well, th- that's what the two drivers actually commented on McRae. They were expecting this wild man coming, but in fact, what the scene was a very humble man who asked them questions, wanted to learn the discipline of Le Mans, and he performed very, very well. Yeah. If you have to, there's a big difference between running something over a stage of a few minutes versus 24 hours, and you'd have a lot more mechanical sympathy. You know, you're not, there's no time for anyone in, in Le Mans to fix the car while you come into the pits. It's in and out straight away again. In 2002, he actually done a British NASCAR series. And if you don't know what the British NASCAR is called, it's called the Ascar series. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I've never even heard of it, so it must be a lot of ass. Yeah, he finished sixth in it. Just a side note there. Yeah, so he dipped his toes in lots of different things there. Um, 2004, as well as Le Mans, he done a spell with Nissan. He done the Dakar Rally. He done quite well. He done two stage wins. Uh, again, he returned with Nissan, uh, the Dakar Rally. 
three stage wins, but unfortunately he crashed out on stage six. He was actually uh, doing quite well. So uh, I think I, was, I fell down a YouTube rabbit hole of McRae videos, like, and that's one of the things he really enjoyed. He said he would like to have done that again. The Dakar stuff? Yeah, because he came so close in the, the with the Nissan. He says he really enjoyed it. It was like a, an evolution of WRC on a much greater scale. Yeah. You know, bigger, big challenge. He, he seems like the sort of guy that was sort of, what's the next challenge? What's Person the next? himself. Yeah. Yeah. That's your Bagley, the Dakar stuff. Yeah. So moving on from that, 2006, there was rumors of him returned to Skoda. But um, I think Skoda released a statement basically saying there was no money that season for a program or a th- no money for the, the wage of McRae. Okay, I forget yeah. what way it was put. And 2007, there was heavy rumours of McRae making a proper return to WRC. Discussions happening. There was rumours of it. Um, I think he done a spell. He went the American done the X Games. That's a, an infamous video for that. Yeah, but I reckon smashing it on there. Yeah, it was like a the rally cross that we talked about with Charles Pastrami. Was uh, yeah. yeah, Pastrami is he a sandwich? Pastrami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, that's like pepperoni beer. I don't get hungry. Yeah, where he he rolls the car mid race. Yeah. And it's it's such a good. I'm sure everyone's seen it by this stage, like, but it's such a good video, like, and it's even afterwards when he's been interviewed about it, and it's all very American. He comes along with a Scottish accent. He's just so okay, cool about new. it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like, it's so yeah. The rumors were going on about um, he's making a return, making a return, but sadly, September the fifteenth, two thousand and seven, at four p.m., a mile from McRae's house, he had his own helicopter. He crashed it. He was piling. He had his own son Johnny in and two family friends. Unfortunately, it wasn't until the next day that it confirmed it because they couldn't identify bodies, basically. Yeah, it's total wreckage. So the funeral then, the funeral was two weeks later. At the time when the death was confirmed, David Richards came out with a statement regarding Colin. And he said, Colin had a fighting spirit like no other in my life. It was like he was saying, I can do anything. It's not my habit to call anyone a legend, but it's a very fitting term for Colin. It was a passion and dedication to the sport that I've rarely seen in others. You knew that whenever you were behind the wheel, extract the last atom of performance. Despite all the success, he remained a very approachable person, someone who always had time to talk to fans, and someone who continued to support the sport that brought him fame. Um, just to sort of sum up sort of the story of McRae, and uh, just a, f- a final few sentences here. Being the fastest doesn't mean being the most successful either. Direct competitors, Sainz, Mackinac and Burns, had a more analytical approach and were more economical both when it came to racing lines and when it came to crashing cars. All the same, no one succeeded in succeeding as McRae. The passion of the ordinary viewer. Rally drew upon millions of people and soon became their inspiration, hero and role model. Fans couldn't get over his absence and there was constant speculation as to which team Colin might go to. Discussions about another chance have now been replaced by sadness and anguish. Colin McRae celebrated rally sports wherever he was heard and after the tragic ending, his legacy will live on the memories of those who were fortunate enough to watch him on videos, internet clips, in a very specific way, in the games with the name of this great, great driver. So I hope I don't justice there. Yeah, definitely. It's great as well you hear that he remained approachable, and much like his dad as well, as you say, they're just decent people who come from a background of just pure passion for rallying. I really enjoyed researching that there. You know, you, you watch things as a kid or as a teenager, and you think you sort of know things, and then once you start researching, and this is why I enjoy doing the podcast 
for to such an extent. You know, you research stuff and you, you learn. learn stuff. And I hope the uh, viewers learn stuff all us too. Not that we're great teachers, but I hope you have fun listening to us. Anyway. It's much more entertaining as a spectator to watch someone who is balls, balls to the, the wall. wall. Yep. <laughs> and just going for it all the time. You know, you can turn around and say, yeah, the guy that I support, say, is always winning. But it is fun to watch. You, you want to see yeah. someone coming absolutely broadside around a corner in the snow or the dirt, everything kicking up behind them. McRae's your man to watch. Well, I think that's, I, th- I think the way rallying's going now, like, uh, I, s- I sort of fell out of love with rallying in recent years because the modern rally car now is just dun, 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 and it's just so controlled. And you actually wait now on a stage for the classic cars to come through because there's, ex- there's excitement to watch them. Yeah. The, dri- the driver's controlling the car he's fighting with the car there's more sense of an occasion with yeah. it we used to go to Lurgan Park Rally and you're standing in the middle of the park quite a small park and Lurgan Park Rally was so good yeah it was It was on my doorstep and I actually regret not going to it more when I was younger but the likes of 6R4 Metros Mark II Escorts I would have had those any day over the more modern stuff and they were just screaming their heads off and totally sideways you know yeah. through gaps that weren't much wider than the length of the car and it coming through sideways on it one thing as well, I always wondered was if Drifton had been, say, 15 years ahead of itself, would have McRae went to that? Because his driving style really would have suited it. Yeah, that's a very good point. Like, you know, w- would he be been a competitive drifter or would he have been a show pony? Yeah. You know, they they more of before a the for competition, that. here's McRae drifting. Yeah. Um, but there's no reason why he couldn't have been competitive. No, definitely not. And what? even if he maybe had done more stuff in America, like at that time with the X Games, maybe that would have pushed through to that. In the D1, all that yep. there sort of carry on. Yeah, so that's Colin McRae, folks. I uh, hope you've enjoyed that as much as I uh, enjoyed researching it. I fell down a big McRae YouTube hole, and there was a video I watched there actually this morning. It was, if you look on uh, YouTube, McRae versus McRae, and it's a video of his dad, Jimmy, and Alistair, which I think was recorded last year, and they bring out the 97s um, in Pretza. That'll be good, yeah. And they do a time stage. It's actually quite funny. I forget the name of the YouTube channel. But if you just Google or just YouTube search McRae versus McRae. Excellent. Uh, yeah, it's good fun. Lovely. So there you go. Thanks very much. But I'd like to take a second to talk about our sponsor, Reload Global. Reload Global are an enthusiast-owned company providing you with not only premium automotive apparel, but accessories such as garage manners, posters, stickers and air fresheners. They're Northern Ireland based and are an official stockets for 8380 labs in the UK and Europe. They help us make all this happen. So check them out at reload.global. So moving on then, we'll finish up with questions as usual from the listeners. And to kick us off, we have Anthony underscore M85. And he says, I have a Mark 1 Audi TT with coilovers, but the engine cover has fallen off. Is it worth putting back on? Does it offer any protection? I think a lot of engine covers are basically the cover, the ugliness of engines. Yeah, especially with a 20-valve turbo. Those things are notoriously ugly. I know when I pull the cover off my Edition 30... You ain't pretty. No, um, I don't think you'll. I don't think there's really any protection from it because there's plenty. Of, well, look at show cars run with them as well. Like I think they're more important than diesel cars for sound. Uh, sound sound Yeah, sound deadening. Yeah. Sound deadening. Sound New York. Yeah, sound it depends what you want it for. If it was a time belt cover, yeah, stick it back on. Ah. But <laughs> yeah, you don't want anybody's hands <laughs> anywhere near that. I used to four stones. I used to run a motorbike with no time belt cover on it, and I was just hanging out the side, like. Spin round. I was like, always wondered. I thought it looked pretty cool, but then I sort of wondered. I was like, if a stone get into that someday, would that do? Havoc? Imagine if your stones get in someday. Ah. You're wearing shorts. Well, your je- <laughs> your jeans or something get caught in it. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, I've 
Well, I'll not say Have a weird laugh. Um, <laughs> uh, another one, Arn Noodle Hegarty. Shout out to Hegs. He says, any good build threads to read? Preferably an Urkul restoration wink. And Hegs has just picked up with his wife-to-be MJ, an Urkul beetle. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, so nice. Yeah, it looks cool. Um, That's going to be cool at the shows. So there's a safari window in the front of it. And it's actually the first time I've ever seen one, a beetle. It's gold-coloured, isn't it? It is, yeah. The safari windows usually I've ever seen them is in the campers. And they flick out the front. So it's be interesting to drive that down the road like 20, 30 mile an hour with like a yeah. giant parachute. I think on the last episode there, we had talked about, I had said about the the build threads, for especially for restoration work, not so much Hercule though, is that the M3, the southern guy, the Irish guy, was restoring mm-hmm. the E30 yeah. M3. Ross Delaney actually... He linked us to it as well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's... I don't think it would matter what you're actually going to be restoring. Read that build thread and that'll tell you. I'll send you the link to it, Higgs. Another more local thread would probably be Robin's R32. I really enjoyed his thread on I think he had an R32 Owners Club and Edition 38 at the time. That's right, actually, yeah. As long as they're still kicking about, you'll get them. And Neil Wilkinson done his drag beetle. I think there's a build thread left on it. It should be still kicking about maybe on RMS. Uh, yeah, RMS full of great threads. Yeah, you just have to hope Shout out, it. Dandy. Yep. <laughs> Ronan underscore hits 21. Ronan, he says... Fellow Dub Logic winner. Oh. Shout dub- out to my brother. Massive heads are <laughs> us here. <laughs> I'm still waiting on my prize, by the way. Um, not so at all. <laughs> and he says, you have one music album for driving for the rest of your life. What is it? Yeah, this is hard. Compilation album. <laughs> was, yeah, that's, that's a bit cheating. of a cheat, though, isn't it? Depends what mood you're in. That's what I'm like with music. It's so it's hard now because everybody has Spotify and iPhones yeah. and whatever. You know, you can just have a playlist of whatever. But it's hard to think of albums where every song on it are bangers is great. Yeah. I can think of one straight away. I have Go about ahead. two or three. The Prodigy Invaders Must Die. That was one of mine. That album, there's not one bad track on it, and they're all driving songs. But say you want to chill that day. Don't, you don't. <laughs> the you very don't. last track on it, that, that kind of yeah. slow groove one. True, actually, yeah. Is great. When I was in high school, I think one of my favourite albums was The Prodigy um, Music La- for Jilted Generation. Generation. I yeah. loved it. I don't know. I would say, so Invaders Must Die is a possible maybe for me. Metallica, Death Magnetic. Another great driving great song. Great driving album. The other one I thought of was Rage Against the Machine, self-titled album. Yes. There's not a bad track on that either. No. That's not necessarily your favourite albums, but to drive to, those if are... You're ju- if it's one album forever, you got to pick something that there's, no, sh- there's no shite songs on it either. Yeah. Rolling Stones, Greatest there's Hits There's no filler, either. like... There you go. Greatest sort Hits, of. Rolling Stones. If you- greatest Hits albums are good, or the other one I thought, which, as you say, is kind of a cheat, but... Uh, a compilation. Dave Pierce Trance Anthems 2008. Oh, yeah. Now we're talking. I can hear Adam Buchanan smiling from here. <laughs> Specifically 2008. 2009 was good too, but 2008 would, would clinch it. How would you know? Because all of his albums are the same. <laughs> Here's a curveball. Um, Kevin and Perry album. Yes, the soundtrack for the film. Yeah, that would be yep. good, actually. That would be good. We really going. are going from one end of the spectrum to the other. But that's my whole musical style. If it's not country That's music. what I mean. You couldn't... Did Neil an artist the one album for the rip? No, it's hard. hard to do. Like, yeah, no, I like that. Um, this is Rocco. He says the owner of the Yellow Fiesta and Cooper's Max Poor Story was Andy Kerr. Andy Kerr. Yes, as soon he as was I from read Banger, that, and he was one of the first men I knew that had his own hair straighteners. There you go, and that was a big thing here. That was 
Probably you owned hair straighteners. I did. Mm-hmm. I, I sat on a pair of hair straighteners one night before going out. You have frosted tints highlights, didn't you? No. I dyed my hair bright blonde going holidays one time, then it kind of grew out. But I never actually like done You were the real stuff. slim shady then? Yeah, I just done it for a laugh going away. But I did have hair straighteners and one night before the Belmont, which is where most of the hair straightener people went, um, I set them behind me in the bed and I sat down to pull my socks on and I kind of rolled back and I rolled onto the straighteners and branded my back and that was fun <laughs> yeah i spent most of the night with a, a burn two two burn marks with my shirt stuck to it and i was like well i'm still going out i'm going this to get podcast has descended and how did connor burn burn <laughs> himself today or, or almost burn the <laughs> house down yeah. i did stand on my hair straighteners one day and burnt the bottom of my foot that That's was okay, not fun because you're a woman you're I supposed think, to straighten your hair i think i picked up my wife's hair straighteners one time and they're still on to move them and I think I nearly burnt them. Oh, oh no. Tidy. Yeah, they're they're hot. I think I screamed, oh, they're still on. I'd say that's exactly, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you were very polite about it. <laughs> Didn't swear, obviously. No, no. Um, no bad talk. Kernahan94, he says, Rob and I were chatting about this at the start of the week. One good car, one daily, or loads of projects. Yeah, straight that's away. self-evident from looking at our yard, I think. Lots of projects. Most of which you're not getting any time up, but yeah, lots of projects for me. What's the point in living if you don't have projects? What's the point? Yeah, I mean, you can open... Or you can have one daily, one good car. What is it, one? Uh, it says, one good car, one daily. And projects. Have them all. <laughs> yeah, I have all those except Why for one good everything? car. <laughs> <laughs> I live my one good car through Lee. Um, Connor Old, he says, Why do people think a three-digit plate and spacers, and quote-unquote, finish a car? That's a very oh, Northern Ireland that's thing. That's controversial, though. Uh, yeah. Is he talking only three-digit reg and spacers on a standard car, or at the people that he's targeting? I would say yes. Well, some people have their cars on finance and they're not allowed to modify them. That's very so true. So a three-digit reg and spacers on a financed car. What about cars who aren't financed? What else are you going to do? Well, that's different. <laughs> well, shun those people, will we? Uh, Connor's a bit like myself. He likes a full-on build. He likes to get uh, thrown in and create a bit of a money pit for himself. Way, look at this. Some people can't afford to. Also true. And some people, people, just, people can't do yeah. it. You know, if you have the hands to do it. You have your means, you have your means. That's it. And to be honest, there is some nice cars out there that have just been lowered. Like, not saying it's a show car or branding stretch of imagination, but you're a, your own daily A4. It's a striking car that has, what, 35 mil springs in it? 35 spacers. mil springs, spacers... And have you got three digits of reg on yet? No, personal reg. That's oh, right, Connor will be friends with you. Numpty one. Numpty one. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, it's a nice daily, nice car to drive and it stands out. things, yeah. Yeah. Um, R. Fordo, he says, on the subject of Colin McRae this week, what rally car of his would you like to drive and why? Easy. L555 bat. Challenge yeah. winning car. That has to be the iconic Lee one. Lee wants the Nova. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that or even the the Citroen, the Citroens, Tarmac Spec Zara. I they have they're like the one. I used to love watching them do the Monte Carlo, just yeah. drifting on the tarmac, on yeah. the hair, hair, uh, hairpin corners and all. And just uh, that's for my <clears throat> era. Looking back at rallying when I was younger, that's the one that stood out to me all the time was the Zaras, and like I have a vendetta against French cars, as you know, but they are so cool. Like I love them. I think we actually might have talked about that in an earlier podcast as well. Yeah. FF Metalworks, the Canadian man himself. Shout out, Dennis. He says, Lee, how's the Skoda? Oh. <laughs> oh. You're right there, Lee, wicked. <laughs> the Supoib is. Uh, Supoib. 
it's superb. I mean, it is. It's a lovely car. And I have got more into the way of driving it now. As I say, I mean, it's still not the Sirocco, but it was it was a head decision, not a heart decision, obviously. So it's lovely. It's comfortable. It's still a bit dull, but I've got into the way of driving the automatic and stuff now. I quite like the adaptive cruise control now that I've got used to it. I hated it the first day I drove it. That's all I heard about for a week was this damn adaptive cruise control. You were not impressed with it. Well, do you know what I found that I, that I quite liked about it last weekend was if you're cruising along behind somebody on the motorway and then it slows down if they are going slower. Yeah. When you put your indicator on to go out to pass them, it starts revving up like it's ready to go just by putting the indicator on. Because it knows you're about to go. And it, I quite like that. I'm like, oh, that's quite smart. It knows can, too much. It, I can it, see you in your, or just in your head. You're just going, yes, machine. You're listening to me now, machine. Good. I control you now. Good car. <laughs> no. But no. I mean, this is probably not news to anyone who drives modern cars, but obviously I it, don't. Does it have lane guidance? I don't know. I think you can set it in the options. There's options in there I haven't even looked Paul, at and probably RS, never will. Paul's RS6 had lane guidance and it used to do my head in. Is that where like it'll actually steer you in the lane if you went to veer out of the other lane? I was on a spurted run home from Edinburgh on it, near Mexico. the boat. <laughs> near the boat. And I was maybe cutting an odd corner or two at yeah. speed. And when you went over lines, uh middle of the road, it sort of went, No, you're not going there. Oh like forcing you back. No, uh, I don't like that. That's a bit oh, scary. No, I don't think so then because mm. I well, not that I've noticed. But yeah, I was all proud of myself. I went round a drive through the other night and it and uh it's a really tight drive through, like you could come into it and you kind of go further than 90, like nearly back on yourself. And it's very tight. And I was like, oh my goodness, this big car. Because I was used to the Sirocco. It was short, but it had quite a wide back. Yeah. She was a big booty bitch. She was. Like myself. <laughs> and uh, so I was kind of used to allowing for that. But now this thing with like the length of it and stuff. And I was like, oh, but I got around and everything. I was so proud of myself. I was like, oh, I'm getting into the way of this now. The Superb's like... Yeah. Sirocco was a big booty bitch. She's a big all over bitch. Yeah, yeah this thing's huge. <laughs> Probably a bit more like me, really. Than... <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm all proud of myself. And of course, the next very next morning, pulling out of the fucking hotel car park, and I ding one of the back wheels because oh. I forgot how long the damn thing was. I'm so cross. But anyway, the short answer is, I'm getting used to it. I do like it. It is a very nice car. Um, I just don't love it. Love it. The way I did with the Sirocco, but it's not really that kind of a car either. So, one thing I fascinates me about it is it has the the headlights that move. So oh, they're class. So you can actually go into the options menu. Lee was out with a few friends, and I was lifting them, and I was sitting with the lights on against the wall, and I was flicking through the options, and I went into the light settings, and you can flick it on the left hand drive or right hand drive. So if you went onto the continent, you have to put the wee, <sighs> uh, like the stickers over the headlights. That's, Unless you don't, smart. yeah, just and you yeah, can see you can it moving. It's the stuff and it's crazy, like. But then that's probably a manufacturer going here. If we don't do this, we'll have to have different headlights. We have to build different headlights for uh, yeah for yeah. different markets. Yeah, it's smart, like. One definite good thing is um, cut my hand quite badly in work the other day, and then I was coming home, and it was my left hand, which is obviously my gear changing hand. So it's quite nice to have an automatic when you hurt your hand. <laughs> yep, boot down, <laughs> keep her lit. Um, just on that topic, actually, shout out to Emmett O'Leary and Johnny Kern, two listeners who've been giving a bit of advice on it. They were messaging in. Emmett was messaging, and then Johnny yeah, we met right. last weekend. They're both Skoda and Volkswagen mechanics, and they were Good. giving a bit of heads up and said, if you need anything for it or any nice advice on it, just give us a shout. Yeah, so, absolutely. cheers, lads. Um, Dennis again, he says, if you were a car, which and why? 
I'd be a big booty bitch. <laughs> you want to this rock away? <laughs> I think I would. My knees, my rear end's a bit loose now. Mark Not just with farts. <laughs> <laughs> and my Bad knees, I've, I've had knee surgery and all, so I loose back end. I'm a bit old. I th- but I'm not fast, but I'm nippy. So I think it would be an E36 328 iSport. Ah, you're not an M3, but you're getting there. <laughs> I'm probably going to be a TDI Mark IV because I'm not that quick. I'll get you there. I'll get you there. I'm <laughs> semi-reliable. And when I come on boost, I'll get shit done. But before that, there's nothing. It takes a while to get me going. <laughs> you're a slow burn. That's it. Lee will confirm. Um. S14 OCP, he says, do we need race suits and a hands device for Saturday? Sorry, hold on a moment. He got called out on a podcast. He, he did. sent a question in. Yes. <laughs> Not uh, called out, but yeah. Yeah, there was an interesting one from Toby. Had a few interesting <laughs> responses to him. That uh, I'm sure he was impressed with. So I don't think you'll need a race suit. I don't think you need a hands device. And if you try anything like that... Um, this is a gentleman's drive. This is not a race. It is. Nigel, I warn you right now. Just Nigel's a. I enjoy driving, but don't be a dick. That's it. Just like a caffeine machine saying at the exit, don't be a dick. Nigel's a uh, black belt in Taekwondo, and he will sort you out if you <laughs> try anything. <laughs> so we'll leave I've that there. Have many happy customers. <laughs> um, Oak Green with envy. He says. COVID shit aside, what's the chances of Casa Wellen happening again? Not anytime soon. No, I can't see it, unfortunately. We were working on something new this year, but COVID sucks. Yeah, I think that COVID's kind of killed even the, the reliable shows, the likes of Dubshed. And but something it's nice. just put the brakes and everything for a while. A few but things lined up, but uh, yeah. I don't think anything's going to really be happening this year. Uh, not even <laughs> regards to GTNI, just in general with ne- a lot of... Next year's not looking too hot either. Lovely. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I suppose it's, it's kind of thing like any show is a big investment, not only in money but in time too. And to put it, so much effort into things and organize things, and then again, say money on top of that, because no matter what anybody wants to say or speculate, it takes money to run a show, no matter what size it is. That's a big commitment to it's, put into something that the government are currently flip flopping on regulations and rules around everything. I think Alex from Fitted actually put it quite well when he said. You've built an event up over the years. Why would you run it at risk one year to possibly end it and make a loss and yeah. financially ruin the thing? But even I, if you did run it, there, there is people that are going to run events this year. Why run a half-fat version? I was going to say, it's not even the fact that people may or may not come. It's the attraction of the cars. There's people out there who, like, would I bring my car to a show at the minute? You know, to travel to England or anything like that? probably not I'm not gonna it's a big risk for people never mind the fact that people do have kids children vulnerable people at home it's just a lot of things that factors into it that's unfortunate it's a bit crap really at the minute it is indeed as the man in Belfast said it's bellocks bellocks indeed (laughs) Um, and then just a final one actually from Dennis here I see as well he says in these times should car companies expand into other avenues like they have in the past i.e. Ford tractors Chrysler jet boats Lamborghini tractors I think they're going to have to do something. I think it's survival of the fittest, especially yeah. at the minute. I think you're going to see a lot of mergers, swan of smaller independents. Like we talked about earlier with Mitsubishi, yeah. joining up with uh, Reynolds and Nissan. It's like you, you think back this time 50 years ago, how many car manufacturers were? Look at Britain alone. Yeah. 
yeah. wiped out. Yeah, nothing. Well, you've Lotus and you've but the you'll find they're owned by some other yeah interest. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, no, it's 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 bad bad times. And the only other thing is as well, if you try and go into you diversify into something that's totally different, the tooling cost, setup costs, you're putting yourself into a market with established people too. It's a very very difficult thing unless you can get you make something, yourself look stupid very quickly. Yeah, unless you can get yourself into something that you know, is a niche kind of thing that ties into something you're already doing and not many people are at, yeah, go for it. But it's, I would say there'll be a lot of more people running their horns in than actually trying anything else. Yeah. Before we finish our sort of question um, section, I had this sent in by a listener and he asked to read out some of the Amazon reviews. It's a sort of driving topic. It's about dad gummy bears. Right. That's a strange one. Yeah. So, uh, the first review was by Nicola Bully, and it's titled One Star, and it's diarrhea while driving, so that's why it's, oh. car, that's why it's car related. So what you're saying is don't buy these for the reload run next week then, no? Yeah, so this <laughs> this is an America surprise, surprise. Uh, one of our beloved physicians bro- uh, brought a bag of gummy bears to work to share with the staff one night shift. Awful nice of her. Not realising they were the famous dreaded sugar-free gummies. Multiple staff through the sh- throughout the shift grabbed a handful of gummies while passing by and each have their own missed stories. But this is mine. Next morning, I have to run an errand about an hour and a half from my house. On the drive home down a curvy back country road, my stomach suddenly begins to cramp and I feel an immediate urge to empty my bowels. Frantic as I realise I'm not going to make it home, I start searching for a place to pull over. The end of a gate-logging road, perhaps? I speed along, arching my back, practising lamb... <laughs> Lama breathing, llamas breathing, Lamas. Lama. It's for pregnancy. Oh, uh, breathing <laughs> techniques, anything, to, <laughs> anything to stall the inevitable. I pass the first turnoff that has a sheriff's car parked at the end, and keep searching with sweat pouring down my forehead and bubbling noise in my guts that drown out the heavy metal on the stereo. Finally, I spot the end of a bushy trail and whip my truck sideways, thrusting the driver's side door open and leaping from my seat to scurry around the other side. I turn around with fingers and waistband about to drop trow and look up to my horror realising it is indeed the end of a driveway and the folks outside are standing down toward me probably wondering what this crazy individual is about to do. For several moments I seriously consider just completing my task and running away but couldn't imagine my parents seeing the cell phone video of myself and social media later in the day. I quickly scurried back around the truck and halfway there, my ability to hold back the hot lava flow of liquid stool from making a hasty exit out of my spasming rectum was lost and I cropped my pants right there on the side of the road standing next to my truck. My bowels cramped up and expelled every drop of liquid from my body. At that point, I now standing there with leggings full of hot liquid stool rolling into my shoes and debating on what the next best course of action should be. Of course, I have no extra clothes or any towels in my truck. What do I do? Do I call someone? Do I drive home the remaining 20 minutes? After a few moments of self-reflection, I decide to strip off my shirt and lay them on the seat of my truck and get inside. It was a rather uncomfortable drive home with the windows all down and my skin burning in the backs of my legs and buttocks. (laughs) It was one of the longest 20-minute periods of my life I've ever experienced in my entire life. I alternated between crying and laughing at the situation and checking the speedometer like a paranoid drunk thinking I I can't possibly get pulled over right now because what will I say? Yes, officer, I cropped my pants. That's what the smell is. Tears streaming down my face, I finally arrive home, screeching to a halt in the driveway in front of the open automatic garage door I triggered as I was drifting the curve onto my road. Holding the bottom of my pant pant legs, 
closed tight. I awkwardly staggered, staggered into my house and immediately into the shower, fully clothed. Fast forward three weeks and I'm at work hearing about the other incident and the light bulb clicks on. 30 years old and I have to reset the clock for the how long since you cropped your pants countdown. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Hansen. Lesson learned. Make sure the gummy bears are not the sugar free version. <laughs> oh, There's... dear. I had a moment like that a few weeks back and I'm not even, I'm not good into it. But so, it was... Sorry if that offended anybody. That, you know, somebody asked to be read out and it's sort of car related. <laughs> Stefan and I, who you'd hear us mentioned on the podcast, were up buying a gearbox for his track car, Cleo, and went through the McDonald's drive-thru, sat for 40 minutes while I needed to go to the toilet, and I had to break into McDonald's toilets, which were, and I mean, I literally broke into the toilets. When you gotta go, you gotta go. Yeah, and it was a sudden, it wasn't that, it was, it was just a pee, and, ah, fuck, I'll just say it. I went into the toilet, and I basically got in, locked the door behind me, and I thought, right, I'm in now. If they're going to get me out, they're going to. Have, it'll be post pee. It'll be grand. We're good. And I looked around, and the toilet was blocked. And I was like, "What?" And the bag stuffed down us. I was like, "What the hell's going on here?" And then I looked. They're using this toilet as their COVID hand wash station with all their gloves and the face masks, nets, and everything everywhere. And I just turned around. And I had to go in the. T- I had to go in the sink. <laughs> I swear to God, and it was like pure relief, and I was like going the sink, and I was like, if someone's outside this door listening to me pissing in a room that has no toilet, what are they going to think? Where are they like, where's he going? There's no toilet in there. I was like, oh no. Oh my word. And they make it worse. By the time I got out, I just walked, I didn't even look at anybody. I walked back out through the McDonald's restaurant part. I didn't even know if anyone was watching what was happening, and I just kept my head focused on the door. But Stefan still wasn't through the drive-thru at this stage. So I had to walk back up through the drive-thru. And I was like, please don't spot me. Please don't spot the me. The walk of shame. But I swear to God, I was going to wet myself. I have never been as close. Like, Stefan, tell you, like, I was, 40 minutes we were in that drive-thru. And I was like, if I had already paid, I wouldn't have cared. I would have left if I could have. But we were trapped. So, Bad times. Yeah, their toilets aren't, aren't that well blocked off. But look at For those of us who out there who suffer from what my father used to euphemistically call bad guts, um... I have many the story of Yes, you do. You don't want to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say if you ever needed a map of all the public toilets in Ireland, I pretty much know where they all are. <laughs> yeah, that could be a that could be a that's a good app idea, yeah. That could be a listener's uh, phone in, you know, or we're deleting that. That's Lee's idea. <laughs> we make millions. I've just scrolled down here. If you check it out, it's the Amazon reviews of um Dad gummy bears scroll down here and a guy called sebastian has put a one star in i weighed 189 pounds before i ate these i'm now a skeleton i'm gonna gonna buy these (laughs) i need these weight loss program you just shit yourself thin (laughs) yeah so this podcast has taken a curveball it has (laughs) so before we go um let's just talk a bit about the reload run yes it'll be a few days after this Um, comes out driven it's happening 8th of August. Thank you so much for everybody that's entered and donated. The donations are fantastic. We've exceeded our target of £300. I think we're well on the way to £400. There will be raffle prizes on the day. I think we're four or five lined up from Blackline, Reload, Dubshade, um, Studio 10 and Motorsports and Spares in Palomina. Thank you so much to everybody. We'll probably be doing them pound or two a strip or something like that there. Strip of tickets, not Connor stripping. Yeah, <laughs> that is available if you want. Um, for so, a pound, 
<laughs> yeah, so we'll raise a bit more money on the day, and it's all in need of aware and I. So that's it. Uh, there'll be more details about that during the week. If you haven't donated already, and if you're not going, uh, if you go on to Just Given page and you search for Driven RR, that'll be the Just Given page. Uh, if you want to donate a few pounds, that would be very much appreciated. Yeah, or if you can't find it, just give us a shout and we'll direct yeah. you to it. And anybody that's going on the run and needs any more information um, and that need it, uh, we will be giving out maps on the day. There is certain details on the Just Given page and the event page that you've hopefully been invited or you're on. I think everybody's on. If yeah. you're not, give us a shout. It's hard to keep up with everything, just it's a bit difficult. But yeah, looking forward to that on Saturday. Hopefully we'll have a good time and we'll drive sensibly. We'll have a good time. Get something to eat. Catch somewhere. up with people. Yeah, catch up with people. Catch up with the listeners. Build the community. Yep. Um, also on a side note, uh, Reload Global are running a giveaway competition. If you go on to the Reload Facebook page, um, it's a survey. If you enter it before the 7th of August, we're giving away a few t-shirts. If you, It's just a few simple questions about products and what you want to see. So, Driven Run on Saturday and the next episode we'll record, we'll be chatting about our good times we've had, hopefully. Experiences. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, we'll leave it there this week. Um, as always, if you like it, share the podcast, um, share it with your friends, share it on Instagram. Give us a wee review if you don't mind. Yes, some of the reviews we had before haven't had any in a while and we haven't posted. We'll, ha- we'll have to read out the reviews yeah. next, next time. I know Bob, he left an interesting so, one as always. If you're listening, go and review it. Make it as funny or disgusting as you like. Well, I shouldn't have said disgusting because oh, you know what's going we to know be. some of the listeners are disgusting. Um, yeah, so we'll read out your funny or interesting reviews next time. So please go on to Apple don't think you can review Spotify. I'm not sure, but anywhere you listen to it, if it's possible to leave a review, yeah. leave one on or it. Or just yeah. comment below one of the posts or something and we'll hopefully read it out for you. Pick it up from that, yeah. And as always, you can follow us collectively at Reload Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm at Connor McCann. I'm at VDubboy. And I'm at Maxwell House 46 Excellent. Well, we'll see some of you soon and see the rest of you again. Thanks, bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Mm-hmm.